When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. James, this is a very special edition of the podcast. And the reason, of course, is we're in Edmonton. We are recording this podcast after the Leafs beat the Oilers pretty handily on Tuesday night. So that by the time you you all hear this, it's going to be Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday, whenever the hell you listen to this. We appreciate it. James, how are you? What do you think of the game? It is minus 23 outside in Edmonton. It is. I mean, we're used to coming to Edmonton in the winter and it being cold, but it's so cold that it was kind of like run across the street as fast as possible from the hotel to the arena. Uh, the game was the game was a little bit underwhelming. You know, like y- y- there's a lot of hype here. There's a lot of people, a lot of Leafs fans in town. There's a lot of people fly in for this game from, from Toronto. And then there's... Um, and then there wasn't a lot of drama really like they're you know 5-1 but the, it, the, there were some pushes from the Oilers and they didn't capitalize and Jack Campbell was so good and then it ended up being a, a really lopsided game so I think people are, are tuning in to see like a battle between McDavid and, and Matthews and Matthews had the two goals and McDavid really I didn't really notice him a lot tonight. Well, it's interesting when you watch the Oilers and you look at their lineup and you look at what's going on recently, and it's uh, it's a really good representation, I think, in some ways of how a team can kind of be steered improperly without foresight, without... Like, you look at a lot of the players that the Leafs have kind of uncovered. Like, their drafting obviously has had its issues. We'll see if more recent drafts pan out. But, like, you look... Their first line tonight, Bunting, 950 grand. Kasha, 1.25 mil. Edmonton just doesn't have that. Like they don't, they have not found guys like that. And obviously, critics of the Leafs will point to their playoff success and say, what have they done? But in terms of like roster building, you can look at the two lineups and you can see why one team is on a roll and and right around first place in the NHL, not technically first place in the NHL by points percentage. And another team is, is at this point we're recording this lost six in a row. You look at the lineup and you're like, how are they going to score if, if McDavid and Drysdale don't score? So anyway, that's, that's a really long winded way of saying like, these are two teams in two really different spots. What I was thinking is that it, it's almost like, the Leafs definitely have not gotten over the playoff hump and they deserve the criticism that they've received for that. But it feels like the roster has taken tangible steps. Like it took tangible steps last year going, adding Brody and getting better defensively. And they moved away from CC and Barry. Like you're, you're watching the game and then Edmonton's rolling out CC and Barry and Barry's really struggling in some key moments defensively. He's playing on the third pair. He's making four, four and a half, four, four point something million. Um, and you, you can kind of see Edmonton having some of the issues that the Leafs had two years ago. Meanwhile, the Leafs have kind of progressed 
beyond the point where they were probably in the in the place two years ago standings wise where they were like a whatever 12th or 15th best team in the league and the reason that the Leafs have have been able to make some progress the core is the same I mean the guy that some of the players have have gotten older and uh, and made progress that way but they've made some good bets on on Brody on Jack Campbell on Kasha on Bunting on, on David Kampf you add all those things together and Edmonton just hasn't really been able to do that. It's a really good point. And obviously, as you know, as the people listening don't know, but I wrote about Kasha and Bunting and kind of the this year in terms of replacing Zach Hyman and and basically Edmonton obviously paid Zach Hyman five and a half on a seven year contract. And the Leafs decided not to do that. And what they did is is take the money that would have gone to Zach Hyman on that kind of contract and spread it around. So they gave nine fifty, like I mentioned, a bunting. They gave one two five to Kasha. They gave one five to Camp. The the Richie thing hasn't worked, but like basically their depth has improved from where it was last year. They miss Zach Hyman, like he's a better player than any of those guys. But collectively, it's made them deeper than they were. And like you and I were talking during the game, like having that third line with camp that makes a really big difference on so many different levels yeah we were actually looking you know statistically you look at some of like the quality of competition that some of the other lines are getting i mean we we looked at it kind of surface level but you can even notice it during the games that austin matthews he's still facing other teams top lines and other teams are trying to trying for that matchup and everything but it's less than it was last year it's they're they're getting and Sheldon Keefe talked about it a lot after the game where they felt even with, with Marner out, Kasha moved up to the first, to, to the first line with McKayev coming back. They're like, we trust that line to play against anybody. And when you're playing a team like Edmonton, where Edmonton split up McDavid and dry settle on, on the two different lines and, and Sheldon Keefe is saying, you know, we really don't, didn't have to worry about protecting any of the, our three lines. And I don't think that they didn't, that's part of the evolution of, of this team and this roster. That's the step that, you know, when people, I think when Leafs fans or even people that aren't Leafs fans that are just observers of it, like, has this Toronto team taken a step? And I would say that, you know, so far this season from what we've seen, was it 28 games into the year, 29, 30, 30 games into the season? Um, I think you're right. <laughs> 30 games into the season. The, the tangible step that they've taken is that there's just enough depth there that they can trust more of their players than they were able to the last two years. That's that's what that's kind of the evolution of where this team is at. Um, I think that this is probably going to be like a pretty positive podcast, just given the way that things have gone. There have been, you know, some of the games prior to the Oilers game. There were a lot of goals against that went in, and they were kind of due for some of that. But generally speaking, I think that this season has has gone the way that they had hoped it was going to go, and there are some some trouble spots that, that I think we can get into maybe a little bit later, but there's a lot of positives. And if they can address the one big trouble spot uh, before the trade deadline, then that sets them up really well. James, I love the segues. I love the, you're, you're setting things up. We're not going to get to that yet, but we do want to talk about the defense, which is what you're hinting at. Uh, I do want to talk a bit more. I have a list of things. We do need to talk about their, their play without Marner because they're now, I believe, three, two, and one without Marner. Uh, but there are some signs, shockingly, when you lose one of the best players in the NHL, that his absence is is causing some issues. But I think we should stay on some of what's gone on more recently, and obviously 
positive for the Leafs. The Matthews streak that he's on, like it, it it's you want to remind yourself whether you're media, whether you're a fan, whether you're a player, whoever, that it's not normal and and you should never take it that it is normal that a guy goes on a streak like this. Like he's got now got 13 goals in his last 10 games. He scored nine of his last 10. He, as you pointed out on Twitter, I think he's on pace. Would you say for 57 goals in 79 games, just like a stupid number. He, I mean, he's got Kasha and bunting on his wings now, and, and it doesn't really seem to matter. He's had after a kind of a sluggish start, which was to be expected after the surgery. He's been just on a tear the last few weeks, month. Got to correct you. He was on pace for fifty-seven after the first goal. After the second goal, he was on pace for fifty. He's on pace now for fifty-nine goals in seventy-nine games. That is a heater. And what, what's encouraging is is he just looks like the guy that you saw last year again. Um, and so we're in December. He had the surgery in August. Like it kind of makes sense that it took a bit of time. Yeah, and you know some of the, his teammates and uh, Keith were asked about kind of. I don't know if you'd call it the historical nature of it or whatever, but just like how special it is. And I, th- I think you're right. I think that when you watch every single game, it's, I mean, you and I have both been around the NHL a long time now, like 14, 15, 16 years. Like not only have we not seen this on the Leafs or anything close to this is it's very, how, how many times has a player had 13 goals in 10 games in the NHL in the last 15 years? Like it's, it's happened very rarely. And now it's kind of like, Oh, you know, like Matthews does it again kind of thing. And when you have a player that scores that frequently, it covers up a lot of other things and it breaks games open and, you know, dry misses the, the open net uh, against the Oilers. And then the Leafs get, get the goals coming the other way. And, you know, even without Marner, Matthews has been able to deliver while playing with, you know, quote unquote, lesser talents. And it, it it's showing again some of the improved depth that this team has. I find that part really interesting, like seeing him produce with lesser talent. That's something I've always kind of been curious about just because we've seen different stars of, of his caliber, like. Crosby obviously being the elite one in that sense. I've just always wanted to see what it would look like. Obviously, Marner makes him better. Like you see some of the passes, like that Colorado game, I guess that's the last game he actually played before he got hurt. Like the two passes he made are just like stupid. Like most people, like 99% of the NHL, that no, they can't make that play or make those plays. Um, but it is interesting, like just in terms of depth and, and options when you get to the playoffs, that maybe maybe if you get into a situation, let's say like you saw what happened against Montreal in the playoffs last year, where you're pushing, you're pushing, you're pushing, not breaking through. Now maybe like you, you kind of feel like maybe you can go to this. And obviously this was a criticism back in the day of Mike Babcock when he had Marlowe and Brown and Kapanen and whoever playing with Matthews and it wasn't working. And it just kind of gives them a little bit more flexibility than maybe they thought they had. And, and maybe that's a silver lining of Marner being out. This team's just better than those teams, and the players are better. Like Matthews is a better player than he was three or four years ago. He's much better. He's much better defensively. It's not that he was bad previously; as he's just become really, really good defensively. And even when the wrist was bothering him and he wasn't at one hundred percent, he was still giving them. He was scoring goals in different ways, but he was really, really good defensively. And you add, I think that if, you know, if they went into a, a playoff series against a team like Montreal again, the difference would be. I think that they could really lean hard offensively. They wouldn't have to worry about what was coming back at them. 
because what Sheldon Keefe would do is that he would he would play that camp flying, I think, in like all, all of the heavy minutes and just like really allow. I, I want to do a story on this at some point. I think he's become like a defensive monster. Like he is unbelievable defensively. Like he just takes the puck so easily. I think I've brought that up in the podcast before. But anyway, like he is, he's on a run. I mean, you look at his production over the last however many games, 10, 12, whatever it is. He's on pace for like what? It's got to be like 90 points, something like that now. He's going to be in the conversation. We haven't actually talked about this at all because this is kind of recent. He's got to be considered now one of the front runners for MVP. You'd have to think he's a favorite again for the Rocket. Like he's, this is what you expect. And obviously the playoffs will be a different thing. And that's what everybody's going to be looking at. But all you can do is address the now and all he can do is address the now. And he's played great. What else do you have to say? I was just going to say, like, it's going to be interesting with the, this is probably like, you could do a whole podcast on this, but like the MVP conversation is so fascinating because, you know, the the Edmonton guys, like amazing players, Ovechkin, you know, amazing player and what he's doing at his age is unbelievable. But, you know, you know, McDavid going into the Leafs game was on pace for 150 points. And you're talking about like Matthews is like, oh, now he's on pace for you know, 90. I mean, he might be like 95 or something like that after the game. Can you give the heart to someone who has 95 points if someone else gets 150? Very good point. First off, very good point. Um, I don't... Listen, I, I voted for McDavid for MVP when he didn't make the playoffs, so I recognize his greatness. Do I think he should be the favorite right now? Yeah. Um, but I guess... like many voters will decide this kind of thing based on how the teams do. I mean, if the Leafs, let's say the Leafs won the president's trophy and Matthews has 50 and 95 points. I have to think he's going to get some votes, but I guess if McDavid has 150 points, he's probably going to get some votes too. Like, I don't know how you sort that out. Um, I don't know. Like, how do you feel about that in hockey? Like, what does team success? How much does that matter to you? I think that I, I mean, Ginla was robbed that one year when he. I think I think it was it, the uh, Montreal's goalie. Why can't I think? It was Jose that? Theodore. Yeah, and, and I think were they tied, and then it came down to first place votes or something like that. It was like it, it was really close. And Ginla, he had a fifty goal season in the dead. I, I think it was the dead puck era. I, I'm pretty sure I have that right. And like, I'm an Aginla guy. Like he played for Kamloops. He was like a superstar and junior. And like, he was one of my favorite players when I was, you know, however I was, he's a little bit older than me. So I was like in high school and he was like one of the best players for the team that I grew up watching. And, um, but it just felt like he was robbed because, and, and he didn't get those votes from some of, of the voters at that time. Um, because he did, his team didn't make the playoffs, but his team sucked. Like, you look at who he was playing with, and he put up 50 goals in the dead puck era. Like, I believe he was well ahead of the of the the next highest goal scorer. Uh, I think you should be able to win the heart if you miss the playoffs. But I also think that the heart is way too heavily weighted based on how many points you get in a season. And, you know, and, and the context isn't taken into who you play with or are they all power play points or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Or defensive play doesn't get taken into account enough. Uh, defensemen and goaltenders don't win the heart enough. I mean, we're talking about Matthews being a candidate. I, I think right now Jack Campbell should be a candidate for the heart. Hey, it's hot take. Not hot at all. Listen, all right, I'm going to give you the floor. I want you to 
to explain this take because I've I've never heard anyone argue this before. Argue what? That a goalie should win the heart? I mean, Hasek won the heart. I th- I think that like I think that if you were doing team MVP, I think you could argue that it would be Campbell, right? So if sure. so if Campbell is the Leafs team MVP, then how do you argue that someone on the team should win the heart over him? That doesn't make any sense. He can be the Leafs team MVP, but he can't be. The, but someone else on the team is more valuable than him. I'm not saying you're wrong. I just think it, it is a spot. Listen, as as someone who likes a spicy take, that is that's a, it's a bit spicy. I mean, when's the last time the goalie won the MVP? Was it Theodore? Was it? I, I actually don't think there's been anyone else. I don't think Price Price never won one. Do you know anyone else? Never. No, like since since that year you're talking about with Aginla, has any other goalie won the heart? The big one is obviously Hasek, where he won two or three heart trophies. Uh, no, there there hasn't been anyone since Jose Theodore as, as a goalie. But there have been goalies that have gotten close, that have been nominated, have been have gotten votes. Not very many. But I think that that's a flaw in the voting, though. I mean, I think goaltenders should be up for that award way more than they are. And I think defensemen should, too. I, hasn't there only been, like, since Bobby Orr, hasn't Chris Pronger the only defenseman that's won the heart? Like, that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous just because the defenseman plays, like, some of the top D plays so much. So, we are right. Uh, Jose Theodore. Am I saying that right? I don't know. Jose. 2002, the last time a goalie won the heart. Uh, actually, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. 2015. Is this right? Did Carey Price win the heart year, that year? I think he had like a 930-something save percentage that year. I don't remember that. I don't know why. Um, but, I, I mean, I guess you're right. If this keeps up... And, and Campbell continues to have like a 930 save percentage. He's going to be in the running. I just, I don't know. I had not contemplated that. Do you think that's like, that's not possible. He's not going to finish with a 930 save percentage, is he? Yeah, we're dummies. We forgot about the Carey Price won it. I mean, and deservedly so. Remember that year he had? It was just like ridiculous. Okay. But even still, though, I still argue that goalies should get more votes than they do. I mean, that's only, that's still only one since 2002. One goalie's won the heart. And two since Hasek in '98, and before that, I don't know the last goalie that won the heart before. Like I, may, I remember when Hasek was winning the heart, it was like this is really weird. Okay, well, let me ask you a question. This is like we're getting into the weeds. I love this. I have a question. What what is more valuable to a team, a guy who can score like this, or a goalie who's playing like like Jack Campbell is? Like, isn't is there a reason that Matthews gets paid eleven six? And Campbell on his next contract will get paid five. I'm not, I'm not saying that's right, but what's more valuable to you? The guy who can score goals at like an historically great rate or the guy who's stopping the puck like Campbell has been. I think if, if Campbell can maintain like a nine thirty five over a long period of time, that's like the most valuable possible thing you could probably have in like, I was going to say in pro sports, but that might be a little bit much, but like if it's like, that decides so many games if if you're goaltend like that's so and like like I said Carey Price is a deserving winner and we're just dummies who are sitting here late in yeah yeah I just I didn't remember that he had won it's good I think it's good that he had won I mean that was a monster season that he had nine that was a, that was like a 930 plus save percentage season where he just carried a a mediocre Montreal team I don't know that I mean, McDavid's just on such a, like his, same with Dreisaitl, like it could be either one of those guys. Uh, the Campbell for the heart, 
Hmm. Had not thought of that. Well, he's not like, I, I wonder what he can keep up. What's reasonable. I mean, last year, I think he finished at nine twenty one. So something like that kind of feels like where he'll end up. I, I mean, you even look at that Edmonton game. He was terrific. And obviously, in the previous few outings, he had started to slip a little bit. Like some of the the pucks that weren't going in earlier in the year were starting to go in, and that that's kind of what I think is going to happen at at some point. I think it's a real good thing for the Leafs that that Peter Mrazek is back, and they can probably siphon some starts to him, which I don't think they would have done, you know, with Joseph Wall or Hutchinson or whoever was around. Um, we haven't talked about Mrazek at all. He's back, James. Like any any thoughts about Mrazek being back? Like I just think it's positive that they'll be able to to ease Jack Campbell's workload a little bit. Well, he played really. It escapes me who the was it. What team were they playing? Where he played really well? Was it Chicago? Yeah, the, yeah like he, you know, he made a lot of. Yeah, but. I, I don't know that that game kind of proved that you can give up four goals as a goalie and play well like I thought he played pretty well and he made some big saves and you know Mrazic should be able to give them something that but it, it does feel like you know Campbell's at a 937 save percentage he's not going to be able to maintain that so it's kind of like you have like the found money but you're like worried about like the rest of the year it's not going to quite come as easily but he just he, even the Edmonton game he makes it look so easy and the, some of the Edmonton media that I was sitting near were just like man he looks good like they were just like really impressed and people were saying that um, some people who had watched Campbell before they were like you know normally you, you you see him and he's like sliding all around he's like making all these like like uh really aggressive plays and he just doesn't look like that this year he just looks so calm he's been terrific like there's there's no getting around that um let's let's take a break james there's some stuff i want to get into uh i want to talk about marner being out i want to talk about the defense and then i think we have some questions for the pod bag so we'll get to that soon James, I don't know how to, to introduce our our second half of the show. Do you want to explain what's going on? <laughs> now we're in Vancouver, so people are getting the our, our experience for the whole road trip. Uh, Calgary was canceled. There was no game there, so we decided to go to Vancouver. Uh, we recorded a beautiful podcast in Edmonton after the game, and half of it got deleted or screwed up somehow. So we decided to record the second half of the show from Vancouver. I'm sitting in my hotel and looking out over the over the water or at Stanley Park. It looks looks amazing. I can't wait to go out there and go for a walk. Um, but yeah, so we're back. And so apologies to anyone if we repeat anything we said in the first half of the show because we're recording the second half of the show two days later, which is a first in in ten years of the Leaf Report. We've never done this. I just think that our um, computer or your computer was so overwhelmed with our major league socks extravaganza that it just couldn't take it. And it, it puttered out. So I got a dad joke about us dad joke for the socks that I, I want to, maybe I'll just use it at the end of the show. Okay. All right. There's, there's a cliffhanger. People got to hang around right till the end now to hear that one. Yeah. It's such a great tease. I don't know what they're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, so obviously we spent uh, the first half of the show days ago talking about Jack Campbell, talking about, uh, Austin Matthews, Depps, Andre Kasha, 
We wanted to, to get into a little bit about the defense and some of the struggles that have gone on with one pair in particular, and that's Jake Muzzin and Justin Hall. Um, I think there's a, a bunch of layers we can get into here. Do you want to start with Muzzin or do you want to start with Hall? Uh, dealer's choice. What do you want to do? All right, let's start with Justin Hall because obviously he was a, a focal point in some ways of the offseason. The decision to protect him in expansion to me was very sound. Like you look at their defensive numbers last year, you look at their play in the playoffs, their top four was rock solid. So, well, Jonas, Jonas, the other thing too is like look around the league at, you know, I was talking to a lot of people when we were in Edmonton about their defense and it's like they needed a right shot D and like they were desperate and. You know, they lost Larson to to Seattle and they were like, okay, CC and Barry. And, yes. and they paid the, they paid them a lot of money. So that was, you know, and you look at we're in Vancouver now, the Canucks paid Tucker Poolman three and a half. Uh, I think it's two and a half, but yeah, oh, I mean like four year deal though, right? Yeah. So like there were really mediocre defensemen getting big contracts. And you know, like Tyson Barry's got three year deal, I believe, and making over four million, and he's playing on a third pair there in Edmonton. So and the Leafs just looked at the landscape and were like, we might as well keep Hall at $2 because at least we know that he can play top four. And I would say, Jonas, probably the most surprising thing about the season is how bad Muzzin Hall has been because they were really, really solid most of last season. Yeah, like it's not like like they were handling really difficult matchups last year and obviously for most of the year before and, and thriving. And this year, it, it's looked like they just can't handle that. And obviously, there are layers to that. There's Jake Muzzin, which we'll get into in a second. But there's Justin Hall, who just doesn't look the same. And it, and it almost feels to me like it started really badly for him. And then it's just kind of snowballed. And you can just see he doesn't have any confidence. And then you add into that what looks like some decline from Jake Muzzin. And you have a pair that doesn't work. And that's that's a big problem because that pair is responsible for handling top lines. That's their second pair, quasi first pair. Um, what have you seen from Hall that, that that's kind of alarmed you? Yeah. So just to the timeline was he had like a serious illness that wasn't COVID early in the season. That was when he missed. Did he miss? I think he missed a game or two. I want to say one game. Yeah. One missed one game early on. Uh, didn't play very well when he came back. Muzzin was really struggling early on. I think Muzzin's had some better games, you know, in the last 15 games, but he's still not where he was last year. Um, so Hall has the illness, comes back, doesn't play well. Confidence is shot. You know, you were just saying, you know, and leading into the question here to talking about, I don't even know if this is a pair anymore. Like, I don't even know if they're going to try and play them again together. Like, I think, I think that this, it might've run its course and they're going to have to, they don't have a lot of options, but they're probably going to have to try. And, you know, in the Edmonton game, they had Hall playing with, with Dermot. And at this point, I don't think you can trust them to be more than a third pair guy. The problem with that, James, is, is, is what you said. There, there aren't a lot of options. And, and right now, you know, they've got Timothy Logan playing with, with Muzzin and obviously. Interesting. Yeah, well, that's that's not happening anytime soon. Like he's he's out obviously with injury. It, it sounds the, like he, he's off the crutches. Yeah, okay. So but but as of now, like he's probably not back until the new year or very late December. So what do you do? Like so you can try Timothy Logan there, but you're pushing it, and I think they know that. Like, I think they're they've been happy with the progress that he's made. Made obviously. I think Logan or Dermot is probably what I would try. Okay, so so we can break down both of those. Um, Lilligren, like I'm mentioning, first season, just kind of getting his feet wet, 
And Dermot, they tried with Morgan Riley, which didn't work. They haven't tried him with Jake Muzzin. So that's something that they could contemplate. But it, it's not like they've, they've given you any indication that they really trust Travis Dermott. And obviously, they did give him that, that run with Riley, and it didn't go well. So it's like you, your confidence isn't exactly um, – you're not exactly inspired to play him there when he comes back. So I don't know. Like it, It's what led me to think like even a few weeks ago, like they're going to have to make a trade because they just don't have a great option internally. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know, on uh, the piece of the podcast that got eaten by the hamster that is my in that lives inside my laptop, we talked a lot about their options for potentially making that trade and salary cap ramifications. And you know, we know when the Leafs are one hundred percent healthy, they're going to have a difficult decision to make in terms of putting someone on waivers or trading somebody. They've already kicked tires on potentially moving Justin Hall and Travis Dermott around the league uh as as i've i've heard from from other teams um you know they, they in order to to acquire the kind of defenseman that they would need to come in and play with muzzin in the top 4 they're going to have to move substantial salary out so that's probably trade nick Ritchie at two and a half trade hall at 2 million trade Dermot at 1.5 you know you, some combination of that, you can free up enough money. Um, since we last recorded the first half of the podcast, one name that I saw come up uh, that I saw some, I, I believe it was some fans or apologies. I don't, I don't remember exactly who, who was tweeting about it, but Klingberg in Dallas, John Klingberg last year, his deal could be someone that they could potentially target as a, a deadline acquisition. What do you think? Yeah, I don't, I don't mind that at all. I mean, I believe he makes four and a half. Um, obviously, he's going to get a huge raise next summer. Yeah, the, I think the, it would be rental uh, only, right? Yeah, that, and which, which is fine. Um, I don't know. That gets to kind of the second part of the, the proposition, though, is like, what do you have to trade? Like, Dallas is not going to trade John Klingberg for nothing. They're going to want something substantial. So what is that? Well, first round pick. Zoop. Let's just keep trading. Know, that's not enough. That's not going to, like, I don't think that gets it done. Klingberg, I don't know. Klingberg makes 4.25. He is 29. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I just shoot right hand shot. Um, he's declined a little, declined a little bit from, from where he was a couple years ago, but you know, he's the kind of, the kind of player who I think could work well with Muzzin just in terms of how he moves the puck and skates and everything. Absolutely. Yeah. He, he, he makes a lot of sense, but so I'm Jim Nell. I'm going to say to Kyle Dubas, I want one of your D I want Sandine or I want Lilgren. And you're going to say, and Kyle Dubas is, is going to say no on Sandine. And I would think he would say no on Lilgren, but like, do, do you think at all about that? Like if, if that was the name, would you think about it? Well, I think what the stars would do if they decide they're out of it and they're selling Klingberg is they just, it goes to the highest bidder and it depends how many other teams are looking for a right shot D uh, like Klingberg. I would think that the bidding would probably get pretty fierce and, yeah, the Leafs are going to be in a situation where they're going to be, you know, it's probably first round pick plus something else if you're making a trade like that. But I mean, if, you know, they went all in on Felino last year, I mean, I feel a bit better about going all in on a, on a top 4D just in terms of that player being able to make an impact. I, I resist that all in on Felino notion because they didn't like they traded a first round pick. It's not like they gave up everything. They didn't give up any of their prospects. Like, well, uh, what I mean, Jonas, is that they gave up a first and two fourth round picks all in in terms of 
the assets that they had to trade at that deadline were all on that. But that's player. not true. They could have traded Robertson. They could have traded Sandine. Like they, they yeah, didn't go. They weren't going to do that though. Like, like then yeah. that's not all in. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, all in. They risked. Uh, they risked everything, and the franchise folded when it didn't. They work. threw everything yeah. into the, the table except the prospects. They went. Um, they went bust. All in. Um, Klingberg makes some sense. Like that. 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 But that's going to cost. That's going to cost you something. And, and listen, they're in Stanley Cup contention mode. Like Matthews and Neilander contracts only have a couple years. Like it's time to go. That's something that they would have to consider. But the other part of this equation is is Muzzin. He just looks his age and, and, and all the injuries that he has, like that's how it feels. And the odd part to me is like his decision-making has not been good. And that's never something you really expected from Jake Muzzin. No, he's never been the fastest guy. And he's, you know, he's had injuries. He's had, you know, the, the, the pl- injuries during the playoffs, but even before that, he's had back problems going way back to when he was a teenager. He's had, you know, he wears the, the knee braces when he plays and, but he's always been a guy that's been able to play through everything and rely kind of on his positioning and, and, and just smart puck moving and ability to, to read the play. And, you know, something's amiss there. What do you make though, Jonas of like, if you look at, you know, the, the, what they call the with or without you stats, like when he's playing with Hall, his numbers are, Muzzin's numbers are brutal. But when he's playing with a different partner, his numbers are okay. Like it's, it, they're not where Muzzin was last year, where he was probably the least best defenseman for a lot of last year. Although, I mean, you know, Brody and, and Riley obviously in contention there. Um, like, is is there enough to that to, to say that a lot of this is on Hall? The fact that Muzzin has played so much better with other partners? Well, I mean, there's some school of thought that, um, he's trying to cover up for Hall, who's, who's not had a good year like that. That makes some sense. I mean, the only thing with those, those with or without numbers this year, I mean, I think the second guy he's played with most would be. Probably no, I believe it's actually Brody. Um, oh, okay. Cause you remember they spent a, a few games together. Yeah. It's like 90 minutes and change. Yeah. So you're dealing with a pretty small, small yeah. sample. Um, What's concerning is like is you're paying they're paying Muzzin to be able to lift a partner like that's that's part of the reason like this is only I believe the second year of that contract the reason you're paying him five point six is he's supposed to be good enough that you can put Justin all with him and like they'll just be fine and if the decline has come kind of sooner than they would have expected like we would have thought like maybe this starts to happen next season if it's happening now it, it creates a problem because like you go back to our conversations about morgan riley um and all that one of the things we wondered is like will they get to next offseason have to trade one of brody or muzzin and if this continues like it, i don't see how you'd be able to trade him uh, you, you can never say never but muzzin's deal is really front-loaded too right like i think there's there's not hardly any salary left on that contract so the way the way they structured it he was going to be pretty easy to move after two or three years of the, of the deal and so Hey, how about this? Maybe you acquire Klingberg, you get him on an extension and you move Muzzin out and there you go. That's then you got Sandy and Klingberg next year. Hey, well, you have to sign Klingberg. Yeah. I just said that. Yeah. You know what Klingberg's going to cost nine. No, no, he's not. All right. We'll see. You underestimate what some of these guys are going to get. If Klingberg gets 9 million Jonas, I will buy you a case of beer in the, in the, at free agency. 
Okay, punch, clip that so we remember it. And uh, what? Okay, so so what what don't, what do you think he gets? Like eight? I don't know. I haven't looked at it, Jonas. But he's he's not the player that he was two or three years ago. I think that you're you're, you're picturing you're making it sound like GMs in the NHL are rational, sound thinkers all the time. Well, I guess we'll anyway. see. Anyway, it's it's an issue. Like it's it's not a small thing because those guys are supposed to do so much. But we can kind of sidetrack. We we didn't do this actually in the first edition of this this podcast and talk like about Riley. Like one side benefit is they still have the Riley Brody pair, which has been excellent, and that pair can kind of step in and handle some of the tougher matchups if. Muzzin, Hall, Lilligren, whoever aren't able to do it as well. I mean, they've been lucky that Sandine's been so good, that Lilligren's been surprisingly good, that that Riley, Brody... I mean, Riley looks better than last year. Yeah. Riley's been one of the biggest pleasant surprises in a season that's had a whole bunch of pleasant surprises, and and Brody's just been really, really solid. Yeah. He really is, like, when you just watch him closely, because if you're just, like, kind of, like, half paying attention, you might miss a lot of, like, what he does... It's just very subtle. Like he's just so steady and easy. And yeah, I mean, not a lot of turnovers and not a lot of like, like, can you think of like a play that Brody made where he like directly led to a goal against this year? There, there are not very many and he's playing a lot of minutes. Yeah. That, that signing obviously looks pretty good. Um, pretty, pretty yeah. good. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Um, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about the Leafs without Mitch Marner. Uh, three, two, and one, I believe defensively, they've not been as good. Obviously there are many reasons for that. Part of it is, is not having Marner, who's obviously an excellent defensive forward. Their penalty kill has not been as good. Big part of that is not having Marner. Their, their depth has been exposed a little bit on that front. Getting Mikheyev back helps. So, um, but I, I do think it's interesting, James, like this is something you and I have talked on the podcast before wanting to see Matthews with, with neither Marner or Neander. And we're getting to see that. And obviously, Matthews is so good that it's working, but you still can feel um, him not having Marner to create some of those opportunities. Yeah. I mean, obviously you're going to miss Marner. I mean, he's one of the best wingers in the entire NHL. So, Mm -hmm. but I I would say that certainly offensively, they've weathered the storm without him better than I would have suspected. Like they've, they've scored a lot of goals. They've just allowed a lot of goals. And some of that was brewing. Like they weren't going to be able, Campbell wasn't going to be able to stop everything. And, and, Campbell's goaltending has been covering up, I think, some of the defensive issues that have been on this team all season. You know, we just we just spent all the time talking about Muzzin and Hall, but you know, I, I've I've noticed it. You look at the numbers when like the Tavares lines on on the ice, and like they've been giving up a lot defensively, and the puck just hasn't yes. been going in. And then now lately, it has been. So it, it's almost like it, it seems weird to say, but it feels like they miss Marner more defensively than offensively. And like, it, it's great that cash has been able to move up on that first line and play really well, but then it would, the third line's not as strong as it is with him there. And there's kind of a knock on effect. So, you know, cash has been, been great in bigger minutes and on, and on the power play looks great with him there. And, and he's, he's meshing with bunting and Matthews and all that's fantastic. But I thought against Edmonton that, you know, I thought camp played well, but you know, McKay is his first game of the season. Engvall's, you know, what he is. That line was, they were getting them out, out there against uh, some of the Oilers' best players. And it's not as effective because that Kampf-Kasha duo on that third line is just so relentless. 
um, that they, they, they miss that. And, you know, but I would say they've probably weathered the absence of Mitch Marner better than I was expecting. Like, yeah, I wouldn't, I wasn't expecting the power play was going to be just as lethal. I wasn't expecting, um, that, that the, the top line would be able to produce as much as it has, but you know, they've been able to do that and that bodes well, I think for the rest of the season when they start to get a little bit healthier. Absolutely. Well, and, and because you mentioned Campbell, I do want to mention something. Uh, our buddies at Daily Faceoff, Frank Saravelli, and I think they mentioned this on a podcast that Campbell was not on the USA long list. I think one of the things that's misunderstood about this is they do that list really early on, like in the summer. Yeah, like it's in the summer. So it, it's it's not crazy that they wouldn't have included Campbell on their long list. Is all, and yet the the counter to that is like he had a really good twenty twenty one whatever season. Um, but like, there's a lot of good American goalies. Yeah, I mean, look at how Demko's playing here in Vancouver. He's been unbelievable, and like you know, he's one of the the candidates to be the third goalie. So, you know, it's not like Campbell doesn't have the U S has emerged as a goaltending power. Like their goalies are better than Canada's now. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't even know who's going to be Canada's goalie, but I mean, it's irrelevant. They're probably not going like, I don't think it matters anymore. Like it it looks like that ship is going to sail. Well, we can still, it's still fun to, we, we spent all this time debating rosters for the Olympic teams that just don't exist. Yes. All right. Well, uh, let's get moving and let's take a break and then let's get to your favorite part of the show, the pod bag. All right, James, it is that time of the show. I remind you to use your local businesses, buy local food. I had an amazing uh, pulled pork sandwich last night from a a joint in Vancouver. Just amazing. Vancouver is not super local to you. No, no, it is not. That's, but not, I mean that's, not, su- that's not supporting local. Yeah, it is. Cause I'm in Vancouver. I had a good breakfast at the Marriott hotel. That, that doesn't count. That's, that is, is not local. Well, it's, it's local to where I'm staying. Oh boy. All right. What do you got? <laughs> so we've answered some of these questions before. Cause you know, it's it, it, like groundhog day. We're going to get no, yeah. No one ever heard those ones. That doesn't uh, exist. All right. You ready, Jonas? You pr- just be surprised at these questions because you have heard them before. Fun guy, okay. fun guy would like to know what happens when Spezza and Marner get back. Hmm, I've never thought about this. Actually, I have thought about this before. The question was even uh, posed. Um, I was thinking about this when when it looked like Mrazek and uh, McKay were both going to come back, and the Leafs were basically going to be healthy. Then Marner gets hurt, Dermot gets hurt, Sandine gets hurt, and it all becomes kind of irrelevant. The guy I kind of came around to in terms of merit, like who makes the most sense to to go on waivers, is Richie. And I don't know that they would do that. And yet, I don't know what other options they have. Well, they got to do something, right? Like, if everyone is healthy, if that ever happens where they don't have a single injury, they're going to be over the cap. So uh, they're going to have to they're going to have to either trade somebody or or waive someone like Richie or Angle. Well, but like, I just don't know what the other options are. So obviously, uh, Clifford will go. That that's for sure. I I would think. I don't think you're going to expose Engvall because like you're going to lose him and he's valuable and he's, he's been better and more useful than Richie. So, I mean, you could send down one of those young D, but they've earned the right to stay. So I don't think you're doing that. Yeah. You'd be, you'd be better off just like giving Dermot to another team or something probably. Right. Uh, I would rather have Dermot 
even as a seventh day than, than yeah. Richie is an extra I, four. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So that's, that's, I don't think it's the worst thing like in the world. Like if he was waived and he went and played with the Marlies, he scored some goals, he got some confidence. And if you need him again, you can bring him back up. Like, and if someone claims him, which doesn't seem likely, they claim him. Like, the tough thing is, you only get the only relief you get is like one point one five million, right? So you got like that's like one point four million dead cap if you got him down. And but I mean, I guess there's not much you can do about that now. No. So do you think when Spezza and Marner get back that they should keep Kasha on the first line and and Marner plays on the third line? Because I've seen no. I've seen some fans suggesting that in the in the comments at the Atlantic no. lately. I can I can pretty much guarantee that. I mean, going back to the summer, like one of the things I I wrote, I don't remember what it was for, was that I, like I'd be interested to see what it would look like if you did something like that, where Matthews played with two guys, whoever, and then I guess Neander and I don't know. Basically, the, the idea was to get Neilander on a third line a la Kessel with the Penguins, but it, they've shown no reason or no inclination to do something like that. And with what they've gotten from that third line with Camp, Kasha, and whoever, eventually McCabe, I think. I, that was not, no. a, it wasn't really a serious suggestion by me. It's just, I've just seen, I've seen that chatter kind of from the fan base a little bit, just because they, they've really liked the way that that first line has looked with Kasha on it. It's been two games. Like, let's not go crazy. Let's change everything. Yeah. What if you could make the second line? What if you made the second line Nylander, Tavares, Marner? Eh? I, that was, I literally wrote that at, at a certain point. No, I came up with it just now. Yeah. Like, I, I, I would love to see that. <laughs> I don't know why that, that's, we can sideline or take a sidebar on this. I don't know why they're so reluctant to, like, there are other teams that put their three best offensive players on one line. I don't know why they've been so reluctant. I guess it's, there's reason, like it's balance. It's, it's having a second line that, that can really hurt you. Tavares and Neander have had great chemistry. I think part of it, Jonas, is that they have four players who are really good and you, you, you don't, you, they, they probably feel like you get less out of the fourth person if they're, if they're just like on their own. Although I wonder yeah, it's, if, the if, first it's line Matthews, is so good. if it's Matthews yeah. though, he's probably fine on his own. Yeah. Yeah. Matthews has so. been so good. You could probably play him with like an old boot and he'll probably keep scoring goals. He's creating so much just on do? his own. Do you think the old boot could like get in front of the net? I'm like basically the old boot when I play in beer league. That's, that's my role. I'll just stand in front of the net and try and have a puck bank off your foot or something and get a goal. All right. Next question. Corey would like to know, uh, seems like the Olympics is going to be a no go. What are the plans with the three weeks? If they don't go to China, uh, Jonas mentioned this, everyone you talk to, as we travel around the league here is saying that they don't think the Olympics is going to happen. Uh, Omicron is, uh, Omicron sounds like, uh, sounds like a bad the guy. It, 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 it sounds like a bad guy in transformers or something. That's that's what it sounds like to me. Uh, Omicron is ruining the Olympics. Uh, basically, the the all the markets have have scheduled their buildings to be used by concerts and other things during the Olympics. So the NHL can't really play games. They might be able to some of these these games that are getting postponed right now. Like the Carolinas had a game postponed, and the Calgarys obviously had a bunch postponed. Uh, they can reschedule some of those potentially if they can find the building availability, but mostly the league's going to shut down, you know, there's going to be just a big break. And, and I'm sure too, like the players that aren't going to the Olympics, like there's like whatever, 500 guys in the league that are, that knew they weren't going to go to the Olympics. They all have things planned for those three weeks. I'm sure they have like trips or whatever. Uh, although, uh, 
that the Transformers villain might mean that they can't they can't go on a trip as well. Yeah, and it might mean those building availabilities are irrelevant. Yeah, they're already going down to fifty percent capacity. What did you think of that news? I just hope it doesn't get to zero. It, it was really not fun going to games with zero fans. But anyway, let's not dwell too much on that. Let's have a. It's not fun when you have to spend so much time in those weeds. So let's focus on hockey, James. Uh, Rasmus Sandine, which is a, he's got a picture of Sandine's head with moose antlers on it, which is okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, he asked, do you think Muzzin might be gone after this season? I mean, if, if he doesn't turn it around in the second half, then I think, yeah, I think there's a, the possibility he's not back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, R. Lambert wants to know, Jonas, this one's exclusively for you. Uh, besides maple, what other kind of leaves do you enjoy? Fig, aspen, any others? That's a good question. Hmm. What about like tea leaves? I, you and I both like drinking tea. I do like drinking tea. Marijuana leaves? Nah, it's not really my thing. Oh, uh, I'm the one from BC. You're the one from BC. I do love the trees, James. I do love getting out and into nature. I'm hoping to do that in Vancouver. Get to Stanley Park. I think it's going to rain the whole time of year. Yeah. Do you want to... We could go hit the aquarium one day. Sure. Maybe hit the zoo. Is there a zoo here? I was was talking to my son last night, and I was like, oh, I got to Vancouver. He's like, you're at the Pacific Ocean. Have you seen a shark yet? And I was like, like, buddy, Clark, I can't can't see sharks. Like, they're under the water. Like, how am I going to see a shark? I don't know. Have you ever seen Jaws, James? Sometimes they come out of the water. Yeah, not when you're like walking around the seawall in Stanley Park. I said, maybe I'll see one in the aquarium. And he's like, no, no, no. You got to see like a real one. It's like, okay. And then I said, the only shark I'm going to see is like the San Jose sharks because Vancouver's playing them. And he thought that was pretty funny. So um, maybe we'll go to the aquarium and see some sharks. Sure. Uh, Jake S. asks, how how good have some of these Dubas signings been this off season? Is that, that I wonder if that's one of that's a Kyle Burner Twitter account asking a question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we can go through them one by one. Bunting has been a huge success. Kasha has been a huge success. Camp has been a huge success. You know, what was interesting, Jonas, just to interrupt you as I was talking to some yeah. people in, in Edmonton around the Oilers. And they were saying how good camp was against the Oilers when they were in the, in the bubble. Chicago played uh, the Oilers in that series, remember, and I and upset them. And uh, I, I saw some of that series, but I didn't really recall this. But Oilers fans and Oilers uh, people around the team, they remember well how good camp was against McDavid in that series. And that's part of what people were talking about going into the Leafs game is that they they there's a lot of respect for camp in, in Edmonton. Well, and you look at like what Edmonton did around the margins versus what Toronto did around the margins. And it's like not only did they spend less money, they got significantly better talent. Part of what I think I was saying this to you in the press box at the game, right? I was saying that, or maybe it wasn't you. Maybe I was saying to, uh, I was talking to Ray Ferraro in the press box as well. But, you know, the, like the Leafs spent a little bit more than just like league minimum salaries. Like if you're bargain hunting with $700,000, $800,000, it can be really tricky and you kind of end up with like the Travis Boyds and the Jimmy VCs. But yeah. if you can spend 1.25, 1.5, you know, 2 million. All of a sudden, and, and you can give out guys, you know, they gave, they gave two-year contracts to, to, to Bunting, Richie, uh, and, and Ka- no, not Kasha, the uh, camp. They, yeah. they gave them all two-year deals, and that sets them up well for next season as well. Well, and that's that's what I wrote about, obviously, uh, earlier this week. Like, if they, they could have, if they wanted to, sign Zach Hyman, it's just the rest of the roster would be worse, because they would have exactly what you're talking about. They'd have 700 grand to spend on 
forward X and forward Y and whatever, you know? All right. Sheldon asks, and I, I don't think this is Sheldon Keeps burner account, but it's a different Sheldon. Sheldon asks, how much of an impact do you think having a guy like Brody next to Mo with Morgan Riley has had on him as a player who, who seems to have had a permanent green light given to him on the back end? Yeah, I, I know some fans sometimes complain about Riley getting caught up ice all the time, but I, that, that's a strategic plan that they want him to really, you know, uh, Sheldon Keefe talks about it a lot, like how important Riley is to their offense and how important it is that he transports the puck as well as he do. He does. And uh, did you see that story that Dom and Harmon did a couple of weeks ago, Jonas, yes. that was looking at defensemen who... Who the breaks, best puck movers in the league. Yeah, the best puck movers, best best at breaking out. And, and Riley was right up there near the top of the list. And Riley's not a perfect player. And and certainly, you know, I would say last season he had some struggles defensively. He's been really good this year. But I do think that having a defense partner that is so unflappable and so experienced. And and the, the thing that I've never seen a defenseman better than Brody is at defending odd man rushes. Like if, yeah. if it is a two on one coming back the other way, he, he closes down so many of those. He's got that. Uh, I think, I think some fans are calling it like an alligator play where he like lies on the ice and like puts one leg one way and a stick the other way. And he just seems to close down a lot of those plays a lot of the time. I actually don't think Riley gambles like he used to. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I, I wonder if some of that's just reputation. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Actually, Keith mentioned that they want to get Riley more involved offensively than he has been mm. more involved. In, does in he have like play. 22 points in 22 games or something like that right now? Yes, he does. I think Riley, he's leading uh, all this, NHL defenseman in five of five scoring. You and I were year. debating this the other day, but I think Riley, this is his best season he's ever had. Well, by the time people listen to this, my story on that may be out. I, I think you're right. I think like the 18-19 season, he obviously has insane numbers, 20 goals, 72 points. But like you pick pick it apart a little bit and, and it's it's not this. I, I mean, the only thing you would add to that is he was playing with like Ron Hainsey right near the end of his NHL career um, and playing top lines like every night. Like I think 40% of his, his minutes were against elite competition, which is it's not that high anymore. Uh, but I think this is better. I just think he's he's more complete now than he was then. Kyle, another Kyle. We got a lot of Kyles here. Maybe these are all burners. Uh, is the power play better without Marner on it? He doesn't have a threatening shot. I wonder if that makes him a weak point on the power play, especially when he's on the flank and the power play seems more dangerous with him out and Kasha in. Am I galaxy braining this? Yes. <laughs> Next question. Yeah. Next I, mean, question. I, I like that they've moved they've kind of changed Marner's role around. And I think he's looked a lot better this year in kind of the more dynamic new power play formation that they've got. They really act like it's more the, the, the strategy and the way that they are approaching the power play that's changed. Like he's still back in his same usual spot. It's just like the spots change all the time. The puck moves all the time. It's their power play is, is much less uh, what's the word. It, it used to be very stagnant and now it's completely the opposite is what I would say. Well, Jonas, we are running to the end of our list of questions. That means it is time to wrap up our show and uh, get out and see a little bit of Vancouver. Uh, you're going over to UBC where the Leafs are practicing on Thursday and Friday. I am. And hopefully we have a game to cover on Saturday. Uh, obviously, it's a freaky time. That that uh, UBC campus, Jonas, it might be the nicest university campus I've been to. And, you know, I've been to 
I've been to Harvard. I've been to lots of places. The UBC is beautiful just where it is. I don't know. It's not a very clear day today, but hopefully at some point you get to see kind of everything that's over that way. Is it Simon? Uh, is it Simon Fraser, the one that's up in like the mountain? Simon Fraser is in, yeah, in, in Burnaby and it's, it's not the most beautiful campus that I've been to. No. <laughs> no. Okay. Simon Fraser has a reputation for being one of the, uh, and apologies to it's a great school. I know some of my friends have gone there. Um, my brother-in-law went there actually. Um, it's a great school, but it does not have a reputation for being a beautiful school. You guys are snobs out here. Everywhere you look, it's so pretty and scenic, like even up there. Anyway, well, go to SFU and check it out and let me know. I've been there. I went and saw it. I remember it being kind of cool just because it was so high up from mm -hmm. what I recall. Mm -hmm. um, so I, we got the break coming up, James, after this. So you and I won't be talking for a little while. Yeah, Christmas. Um, we're doing another show here, though. Yeah. After, after the Vancouver game. So that'll be kind of our, oh, Christ yes. that'll be our Christmas send off show. So we're not, we're right. not doing that right now, Jonas, you're, you're jumping ahead. Oh yeah. I forgot. Okay. Well, if you haven't signed up for the athletic, go to the athletic.com slash leaf report, check us out. It's a good holiday gift. Just like a pair of socks with your favorite player on them. All right. I get to say, say my dad joke now, right? So oh, yeah, if, if you're thinking of, you need a last minute gift, and you want to tell your significant other or your parents or whoever buys gifts for you, you want this one last special gift, what you should say to them is, sock it to me. Go to Major League Socks, use the promo code SOUPY, S-O-U-P-Y, 20% off. They have almost any athlete you can think of on the entire planet except Jack Campbell. You can get them on a sock. Where was the joke? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That was great. Yeah. Well, that's you want to end on a, on a low note, as we like to do on this podcast. Maybe I'll just come up with a really crappy dad joke or pun just to end every show. We want people to listen to the show, though, right? Well, they have to listen to it to get to the end to hear with a great or crappy joke. Oh. All right. Well... <laughs> Much to look forward to on the next episode of the pod. Thanks, James. Thanks, Jonas.